Hello, and welcome to our, uh, I don't even, I've lost track now of all the days, they just kind of blend together, but this is a, uh, an episode of Aldino, and it kind of ties into, um, Elden and Zoe's Ark a little bit, in a sense, where I'm talking about prehistoric mammals today, and a very special, uh, specified, special group I want to talk about. So I've always been a big fan of big cats. They were our first milestone as a species, um, being able to work together and uh, fight off. If you look back at um, Australopithecus, which is one of our earliest kind of upright walking um, ancestors, their biggest competitor uh, was Dinophilus. And Dinophilus was this crazy big cat that was our, our it preyed on us it, it preyed on us and it ate us um we were its main food source so with that kind of in mind i want to talk about some really big like really big cats that aren't around anymore and how it kind of ties into preserving the big cats we have today just so you know a little precursor to the episode so let's get this started and you're watching El Dino, only on riotradio.ca. So we are talking about, I have here, sorry, I'm just going to get it up here. I have 10 of, you know, the biggest big cats that ever existed. And the biggest thing they all share is they're all dead. No thanks to us, but I also feel like it was also climate change and um, being outsourced because niches were filled and then the niches that the cats filled never worked anymore. So that kind of plays a big role. When you're a predator and you have to constantly be on guard for interlopers taking over your predatory niche, um, it's very tough to keep an advantage after a while. So I'm going to list off the 10 that I have here and, you know, go into a little bit about it. So if you look at modern day big cats, we have cheetahs, jaguars, leopards, lions, tigers, pumas, oh my. Out of the six, which I'm going to count as the big cats, a lot of them have ancestors that were a lot bigger than them. So to start off, we had the giant cheetah, which was, you know, a 300 pound cheetah. Kind of scary if you ask me. Um... I'm not even going to try to pronounce its Latin name, but it belonged to the same genus as modern-day cheetahs. Makes sense, you know. And it probably would have looked very similar, but much, much larger. And it's kind of crazy to think that this modern cheetah could run maybe not as fast as modern-day cheetahs, but pretty close. So modern-day cheetahs run very fast. And when you have a... The fastest cat in the world, actually. When you have a giant cheetah that is 300 pounds and just smashes into you that's game over like there's no coming back from that usually um, if you look back at the megafauna though a lot of them were very big comparatively to the ones we have today so a little different i guess um but giant cheetahs were really crazy they could probably run uh, up to 72 miles per hour um, which is uh, 115 kilometers per hour which is insane because well, that's faster than like you know when you're driving the highway this cheetah could run faster than that um lived in europe and asia from Germany to France to India. So imagine that, a, a cheetah that lived in Europe. So it goes from Germany, France to India, and then all the way to China. Now that that is a crazy niche to fill, in my opinion. And it's, it's so cool to think that cheetahs didn't grow up in Africa. A lot of these big cats spread out and then had to come back. But cheetahs ruled Europe and Asia for a while. We think that probably it had longer fur and like a lighter coloration. Um, 
or darker coloration. Black or darker colors absorb um, heat, so it could have had a darker color to help absorb heat, but it could also have a lighter color to blend in better, and it would have had longer hair to keep itself warm, because it lived in that kind of time period where it was sort of ice ages after another, um, so you have to adapt very quickly in the sense of thousands of years comparatively to, you know, 10 years. Um, the next up is one of, if you know Smilodons, you may have heard of this, you may have not. It's called the Xenosmilus. Now, Xenosmilus, usually Xeno means alien, and then Smilus is just the play on with Smilodon. Um, you know, famous saber-toothed tiger, instead of having long blade-like fangs, though, it had shorter and thicker teeth. They call them kind of like dirk-toothed cats. Um, I'm no knife expert, but a lot of the saber-toothed ti saber tigers slash cats have very similar names to the sense of, um, you know, knives and blades. So scimitar cats, saber-toothed tigers, or saber-toothed cats, and then dirk cats. So its teeth are more like kind of like a shark or carnivorous dinosaur where they're made for like ripping and tearing um, instead of holding down prey. If you look at modern day lions, their jaws are adapted to like hold down the um, the larynx of most animals until they until they suffocate and die. Whereas Xenosmilus would just bite in and tear off chunks because it doesn't really care. Uh, it says here that it didn't actually strangle um, its prey as modern day cats do, as I said. It only had to bite off a huge chunk of flesh from its victim and wait until it bled to death, which is, again, similar to what I said. We think that Xenosmilus' kills were probably much bloodier and messier than any big cat because of the adapted teeth. Um, you look at most lions, and you know, you think, okay, it's, it's pretty bloody when they kill, but now imagine, instead of catching the wildebeest and choking it out, they're ripping pieces off the wildebeest until it just bleeds out. Now, that's, that's a little different. Xenosmilus was a lot bigger, though, than the American cheetah in the sense that it was uh, anywhere between 180 to 230 kilograms. Now that's approximately 400 pounds to 507-ish pounds, which is a pretty big animal. Um, you know, probably as big as adult male lions and tigers. Now, male lions and tigers have a bit of a difference there in size-wise, but pretty similar. And it was much more robust, so shorter, stronger limbs, powerful neck. Looked kind of like, an, uh, like a, an aggressively smaller saber-toothed tiger. Um, the remains of the cat have been found in Florida, along with those giant um, prehistoric uh, peccaries, so pigs, uh, which they seem uh, which they seemed to have like a thing where they just loved eating them. They're probably their favorite food or their easiest food. When you're a giant cat, you want to preserve energy. So if you can catch an easy meal that fills you up, you catch the easy meal. Uh, we know it lived in the Pleistocene period, but no one knows exactly when it went extinct because we don't. The issue with the Pleistocene period is we don't know. It's so long, first of all, in the sense of like, you know, dinosaurs have this period to so the Cretaceous Jurassic. Um, the Pleistocene period kind of just goes. It goes from like 40 million to like 10 million. So those 30 million years, not nearly as long as the 100 million years of dinosaurs, but it's still, still long in the sense where you all of a sudden have uh, unbridled growth in that time and adaption that was never seen before. So we have no idea even if these cats interacted with humans. We haven't found human remains yet which means that it probably didn't, but once you find, you know, a, a not-on um, ape bone or early hominid bone, that's when everything changes, and it kind of changes what we think of these big cats. Um, the next up is just like a little blurb, giant jaguars. When you think about jaguars, you think, okay, they live in South America, they eat monkeys, okay, but then they kind of realize that jaguars prey on caimans, they prey on um, capybaras, they prey on like pretty much anything they can catch, giant otters, 
Jaguars do a lot, and Jaguar males are much bigger than the females. Now, when you think about it though, Jaguars are very small comparatively to modern day big cats. But when you look at its ancestors, they were probably 60 to 100 kilograms, which is pretty big. Um, so when you see like, you know, 60 to 100 kilograms, which is pretty much 130 to 230 pounds, and then you look at the male, the largest male ever that was recorded in South America, which was 150 kilograms, supposedly, um, you think, okay, so now the now these jaguars, you know, these jaguars today can get pretty big, but not huge comparatively to most of the big cats. So you have to think about it in the sense where an African lioness outweighs most male jaguars. So how big could a giant jaguar really be? It's specified that it, you know, had longer limbs and tails than the jaguars living today, so it could have just been a taller, kind of longer um, jaguar in the sense. But we don't have an we don't have like a real idea of how big it was. We know that they probably died out 11,000 years ago in like the uh, late Pleistocene um, period. Uh, it says here that there are two subspecies of giant jaguars known to date, um, Panthera onca augusta from North America and Panthera onca mesembria, mesembria, which is from South America. So when you think about this, South or America, North America and South America are connected by Mexico. It used to be a lot bigger though. So it used to be a much larger landmass and it kind of just showed up one day because you had North America and you had South America, but there was nothing connecting the two. They were islands. Then the Bering Land Bridge opened up. So the Bering Land Bridge comes over from Siberia. Boom, North America. All these animals, people come over here. They're doing their own thing. Then you have this little bridge that shows up in, a, in between South Africa, or sorry, South America and America, and that is, yeah, I don't know what the proper name is, it, but it's just Mexico. But it was bigger than Mexico nowadays. So all these animals flooded back and forth because it was a new area. It was a new, a new hunting ground in both senses. So that's why you have terror birds in North America that were never here before because they just came up from South America. They just said, thanks for the bridge, we're gonna follow the prey animals. And they kind of did this vice versa thing where they kept switching and then we had all this craziness where you had all these big cats interacting with other big cats that never had this happen before. And uh, giant sloths fighting giant bears in Florida. It was very different, very different time. Um, next is the European Jaguar. Again, big Jaguar from Europe. Approximately the same size as the giant Jaguar probably more tiger-like in the sense of body mass and body um, layout, but no no huge thing, because you think about it today, jaguars are the small, smallest big cats, quote-unquote. So, I guess caracals can, but I don't think they're big cats. But they, you know, they aren't very big or stature-wise. So, you know, a giant jaguar or a European jaguar is 210 kilograms, so 445 pounds-ish, 460 pounds-ish. That's not very big comparatively to, again, big cats. That's about the size of a male lion today. So it is big for a jaguar, but not big for most other um, big cats. And it lived in Germany, France, England, Spain, and the, Nether and the Netherlands. We think it was probably top of the food chain there about 1.5 million years ago. But then it was outclassed. You had the American cheetah, or I guess the cheetah, um, the giant cheetah. And there's an American cheetah as well. But the cheetah, the giant cheetah moved in, takes over the niche. The issue is when you're a big cat, your role can be filled so easily because you're top of you're you're top of uh, the food chain predator, but all these land bridges are opening up and all these animals are flooding in and all these adaptations are happening. So it changes everything. Where 
one day you're top of the food chain, next day you're fighting for your life against a Smilodon, which is outclassing you in weight, size, and prowess and hunting, and you have to somehow properly guard your prey, not have your offspring get killed. It's very tough, and it was a very crazy time for most big animals like that. Next is one of my favorites. Now, I, I actually love this animal. It was the cave lion, and the cave lions were some of these, well, they're lions that live in caves, duh, but they're so cool. So, there were gigantic subspecies, and there's sub, the fact of the matter is there's subspecies. So, lions were well established in the sense where, like, there was a, a main line of lions, and these broke off and became the subspecies. And they weighed around 300 kilograms, which is anywhere between 600 and, like, 60 to 600 to 670 pounds. It was big for them. And, therefore, they were large as an Amur or a Siberian tiger which is the largest cats we have today. Now, it was one of the most dangerous and powerful predators during the late Ice Age in Europe. From this website, it says that there is evidence that it was feared, perhaps worshipped by prehistoric humans. Um, I was reading a book called The Reddening, and in the book, they talk about these um, cults of people who took Neolithic and Paleolithic times, and um, they basically just worshipped uh, ancient deities from the early days of humanity. And one of the deities they, they worshipped was a cave lioness. So the woman wore, wore a cave lioness head. Um, really cool. No mane. Nothing on them. Which is kind of crazy because you think most lions have manes. But when you think about it, you know, they don't have manes. Barely a ruff around their neck. Because why? <laughs> it, it's something to get caught on. And when you're competing, because, you know, you might be able to, you know, outclass a caribou easily because you're a giant lion. But there are bigger, or I guess big-ish, big-ass, other um, predators that are competing with you constantly. So if you all of a sudden have a, a scarf you're wearing that's easy to grab onto, that's not going to help anything. Plus, I think it kind of, it wouldn't help um, with heat, I'm, I'm going to say. I'm no, I'm no um, you know, furologist, but I would like to believe that if you have all of your fur the same length, it helps keep heat in better. So, Sometimes, if you look at the old cave paintings, um, it says that cave lions might have had faint stripes on its legs and tails, but we might, you know, we early humans might not have artistically just said we want this. Um, it led to people believing that cave lions were probably more related to tigers than they are lions, but the genetic studies of ancient bones confirmed that cave lions are indeed lions after all. <clears throat> and apparently the ancient cave artists are to be trusted, but, you know, we're going to trust them from a distance. Next up is Homotherium. Now, scimitar cats, as I mentioned before, is another species of big cat, uh, big saber-toothed cats. Three of them. Saber-toothed tigers, Smilodons, Homotheriums, and dirk tooth. So the scimitar cat, Homotherium, was one of the most successful felines in prehistoric times, being found in North and South America, Europe, Asia, and Africa. So their whole so Homotherium is a genus. It's a name. It's a it's a family group. It's not the cat itself. It's the species. So it's adapted well to a variety of habitats, including the sub or subarctic tundras, and survived for five million years ago until it was extinct ten thousand years ago. So when you think about this, pyramids were built what two thousand two thousand ish three thousand years ago almost um, two thousand ish I'm gonna say eight thousand years before that. Homotheriums were hunting, you know, the Great Plains of uh, America. They were walking across Europe. They were in China. And it's kind, of, it's kind of crazy to think that humans, you know, Babylon, Egypt, they rose up. But Egypt was around when mammoths were still roaming 
you know, um, mammoths were still roaming, I guess, parts of uh, North America. So it's kind of crazy to think that this animal lived 10,000 years ago, which is, on the grand scheme of things, nothing compared to dinosaurs. So we think Homotherium is a pack hunter, which wouldn't really be a pack, it'd be a pride. Um, adapted to fast running. It was probably active during the day, we think. Um, if you look at a lot of big cats, half of them are nocturnal. Pumas hunt at night. Jaguars hunt during the day. Cheetahs hunt during the day, but they can also hunt at night. Lions hunt pretty much any time. So when you have a you have this like this fluctuating group of um, am I a day hunter, am I a night hunter, it's okay to be set in your ways and say, I'm a day hunter, I'm going to hunt during the day, and that's it. So we think that they probably hunted during the day to avoid competition from nocturnal predators. It had long forelegs and shorter hind legs, kind of like a hyena, um, where it was heavier in the front and then it sloped, so it had a very sloping, very sloping back. Um, it's not famous for its size because it, you know, uh, sorry, one second. Um, so it says also, also uh, although Homotherium is not very famous for its size, some fossil remains of scimitar cats unearthed recently in the North Sea suggest they could reach 880 pounds, which is humongous. That's larger than uh, today's modern-day Siberian tigers. Problem is, though, since Homotherium is a name of a family group, there's so many differences. So it's like saying, it's like saying bears. Okay, saying bears. Um, you have grizzlies, black bears, all these, you know, all the jazz, um, speckled bears, spectacle bears, um, sun bears. They're all different, very different. But saying homotherium as a group kind of changes things. So we think enormous pack hunting animals ate what we would like to believe. Woolly mammoths, probably early rhinos, um, any kind of early uh, cattle that lived in these areas. Basically, uh, basically they were the the big top predators, and they would hunt whatever they wanted to, within reason, of course. Um, I think Homotherium is actually uh, called the Homotherium or the cave lion that's called the um, the mammoth killer, because it was just so good at it. Um, so despite Smilodons, this is an excellent, uh, I'm going to butcher this name, first of all. It's called Macoerdus Kabir, and it was kind of like a, an early day um, ape hunter. So it kind of evolved earlier on and did a good job hunting our ancestors. So it says, despite Smilodon's fame as a classic saber-toothed tiger, its short tail and different body proportions are very similar to actual day tigers. Machiarodorus, on the other hand, Machiarodus, Machiarodus, on the other hand, probably looked pretty much like a gigantic tiger with saber-toothed teeth. So tigers are big enough as it is. Long tails, uh, long legs, kind of scary looking. Now give them saber-toothed, give Tony the tiger saber teeth. Now it changes everything. So, we think it's impossible to know if it had striped spots or any kind of fur markings because it's really hard to tell. These fur markings aren't very well preserved. Um, it's seldom mentioned as a giant feline. If you've never heard it before, don't worry. Um, but some fossil remains found in Chad, which is in Africa, uh, and classified as a new species, Machiderus kabir, suggest that this creature was among the largest cats of all time, weighing up to um, 1,080 pounds to 1,102 pounds. Basically, as big as a horse. So picture a picture a horse <laughs> that hunts people as a and with saber teeth. Like that's that's frightening in my opinion. Um, we think you know we think it fed on early elephants, early rhinos, large herbivores, which could be abundant at the time because megafauna, which is my favorite word in the world, were huge. They did what they wanted, and when you have megafauna, you have to have mega predators, and they made that predator. Um, Machiderus kabir probably looked somewhat like a giant saber tooth tiger. Uh, in the film, 10,000 BC, which it's there, um, 
It went extinct, we think, in the Miocene period, which was long before humans showed up. So, again, I love 10,000 BC because this is weird. Mammoths, terror birds, cave people, Egyptians, kind of weird thing. Um, and having Macadiris Kabir in it makes no sense, but at the same time, it's really cool to think that, you know, saber-toothed tigers uh, or lions or whatever existed at the same time as early humans. This might not have a you have the picture. The picture I have here is it eating a, a, an early orangutan. So it maybe ate you know early early hominids or early apes, but we never saw it. We would our ancestors never saw them. Next is um, a lion. <laughs> And it's a really cool lion because it's American lion, and it's called Panthera atrox, which is one of my favorite um, of the uh, Latin names for these animals. So Panthera atrox, the American lion, is probably the best known of all prehistoric cats after saber-toothed tigers or smilodons. If you've ever heard of Panthera atrox or the American lion, congratulations. It's third or second. This is It's third on the list, so there's one in between we have to talk about. It lived in both North and South America, across the land bridge. Um, from Alaska to Peru, so that's a huge. Um, you know, Alaska's here, Peru's here. That's like that's a crazy. All the Americas, all of South America. That's a huge, huge range. Um, lived in the Pliocene epoch, epoch, and went extinct eleven thousand years ago, at the end of the last ice age. Most scientists believe that the American lion was gigantic relative to modern day lions. So modern day lions are kind of stockier. They have, um, you know, you look at a a, a modern day uh, lion, a male lion, stocky. Its head doesn't really look up much. American lions, we think, were taller, longer, and they had like a stature to them. So they stood very proudly. If you're like Pokemon, um, whatever that lion is, I can't remember what its name is. Um, whatever the lion, the fire type lion, it looked probably like that. Not with the fire mane, but the stature wise, where it stood up proud. Um, you know, Panthera atrox was kind of like the proper name, we think, for it. Um, because Panthera, Panthera Lero, uh, Panthera, Panthera Leo is what we call lions, but Panthea Lero Atrox is what this should be called. However, others are not sure and suggest that the American lion was actually related, um, as it was related to lions, it was like a separate species. It broke off and was its own thing for a while. Recently, it suggests the American lion is probably more similar to a jaguar in the sense that um, how it hunted, how it acted, but we know for a fact that it was one of the largest big cats in North America at the time. 1,036 uh, 1, pounds was what we think is the lowest, up to 500 kilos, which is 1,100, it's 1,100 pounds. They can eat what they want. They do what they want. We have some debate on how they hunted, though. You look at modern-day lions, could have been different. We think that modern-day lions kind of changed how they hunt based on where they are. Um, we think that, you know, modern-day lions hunt in groups, while American lions could have been scarce. They spread out more. Um, the news I'm going to say after this makes kind of more sense when you think about this. So there were probably solitary hunters, you know, maybe maybe a mother and a, a mother and a daughter, maybe a family group, but nothing large as today's prides. Uh, makes sense though, if you consider it, because Smilodon fatalis, which is not the biggest of Smilodons, but you know, it would have competed with competed with American lions, was a pack hunter, a pride hunter, where they had to hunt lots of animals at the same time, or lots of animals with each other, while American lions can get away with it by themselves. So if you look at, you know, alone hunting and preying on different animals, it could kind of make more sense if lions could avoid competition by hunting smaller animals that they could catch by themselves, more trying to go after the same prey as Smilodon fatalis. Makes a little bit of sense.
And they did live a lot. It needs to be noted that Smilodon Fatalis lived at the same time as American Lion and died out at the same time as American Lion. So they lived together with no real competition for a very long time. The next is something I never even, I didn't even know this animal existed. It's the Pleistocene tiger. So, you know, easily the most obscure cats in the list. Yeah, I've never heard of it. Um, being that it's only known from fragmentary remains. So we don't really know how much or how big it was. Um, it was, you know, mentioned that the Pleistocene tiger is not a separate species, but rather an early version of the same tigers we see today. Um, tigers evolved somewhere in Asia about 2 million years ago, specifying to prey on enormous diversity of large herbivores living on the continent at the time. Tigers have largest felines nowadays, with the large Bengal and Siberian males reaching 300 kilograms, 600 pounds-ish. However, during the Pleistocene era, the food supply was greater, and so tigers could get bigger. That's kind of how things go. More prey, animals get bigger. Less prey, they get smaller. If you don't get smaller in time, you die off. You know, we found massive jaws and fangs in Russia, China, and Java, suggesting that these cave tigers could reach 1,080 pounds, but we're not entirely sure because... We don't know their head. We only see their jaws, so they could have been much bigger or much smaller. They could have had a tiny head for a large body or a large head for a tiny body. We're not entirely sure. Again, when you play with bones, it's kind of a, a guessing game. It's like a jigsaw puzzle where all the pieces are kind of similar, but you only see half the puzzle, and you have to kind of hope for the best. And last is Smilodon. So Smilodon Populator, which is the most popular one, the biggest of all of them, was this humongous cat. And I mean, like, gigantic. So they went from, you know, uh, the South American species of Smilodon populator, which was the, um, uh, sorry, one second. My largest species, North American, Okay, here we go. We'll try this again. So they went from three species living, living, North America, South America, smallest species, Smilodon gracilis, or Gracilicus, which was about the size of modern-day jaguars. Then Smilodon fatalis. Says in modern lions. Then you have Smilodon populator, which, you know, weighed um, average 600 pounds, but could get all the way up to 1,100 pounds. So you have these you have these three species of Smilodons that kind of go normal-sized, kind of big, humongous. Like, this thing doubled, doubled the size. So Fatalis, compared to populator, was like having, like, a kitten compared to a full-grown cat. Like, they were much larger. Populator was humongous. Smilodon was not agile. We think it was just a big brute. It probably just came around and scared off other prey animals. It scared off other predatory animals from prey. Not as agile as modern-day big cats. It was humongous, thick, strong limbs. Its neck was gigantic, so it had a huge head. Um, long claws to hold on prey. Its fangs could reach 30 centimeters. It's a ruler. Um, in length, they were perfectly for causing mortal injuries to mammoths, ground sloths, and possibly any large animal unlucky to be ambushed by the super predator. Now, it is thought that, you know... Ground sloths are gigantic. They could easily break a Smilodon. But at the same time, it'd be a very even match. Like, you know, if I'm a Smilodon with a group of four Smilodons hunting a ground sloth, we might lose one member. But we're taking the ground sloth down. Smilodons went extinct a thousand, or 10,000 years ago, meaning they encountered humans and probably hunted them once in a while. Um, but we're going to, I know, I kind of hope not. That's kind of terrifying for me, being hunted by a giant big cat. The most amazing thing about Smilodons, though, is that it was the only prehistoric cat to have noticed to cause an extinction of an entire species. So, we think that Thylo, uh, Thylocosmilus, which was a marsupial version of Smilodon, it was this, um, it had a pouch, it was like a big cat with a pouch, with, with, um, uh, it had saber-toothed teeth, but they were sheathed, so it had, the way its jaws came out, so its jaws would come here and have little pouches that the teeth would sit in, 
kind of to, to guard them almost, but it looked, like, it looked really dumb. So we think that Velicus mylis was just destroyed by this species. Smilon came from uh, North America, moved into Sm uh, Thaleos Milus' area, and eradicated them. Out-hunted them, killed them, ate them, whatever they wanted to do. They were giant. It's like having like a, a house cat fight a tiger. There's no competition there. <laughs> and Smilodon did what it wanted. Smilodon was its apex, was the apex predator, predator of North America and South America. They did what they wanted, and they did it well. Um, beast ruled South America for millions of years until the sea levels became lower and North America became connected to the continent. Smilodon, native to North America, made the journey to South America for, two, for about 2 million years ago. And Thalogosmilus dis disappeared like that, almost instantly. Outcompeted, hunted to extinction, whatever you want to talk about. In other words, Smilodon basically conquered an entire continent, driving its less uh, adapted predators to extinction. So Smilodon on this list is number one. So look at all these big cats, and most of them, well, all of them are dead. Um, with these big cats, though, they survived for a very long time with competition. American lions lived for, you know, 30, I guess 30,000 years ago to 10,000 years ago, so 20,000 years. Smilodons live for about the same time, and how they do it. So we think that, you look at, you know, modern-day cave, I guess modern-day lions compared to cave lions, cave lions didn't interbreed. So on this little article I have here, it says, almost 30,000 years ago, different types of lions used to roam around in several parts of the world, including Spain, Eurasia, modern-day Alaska, and the Yukon. Some of these large animals, which used to be inhabitants of America and Africa and the Middle East and India, have disappeared from uh, from the Earth a long time ago. So we kind of, you know, we've been in the development of technologies and science, and experts have successfully, successfully sequenced the genomes of 20 individual lions, which is humongous, which include long-lost cave lions, widely depicted in prehistoric cave art. To know more about the family of these big cats and find out about their modern-day cousins, we kind of, we want to figure out why. So... You're picking, we're picking the ancestors to see how they did so well, comparatively to the ones now. Like, again, you don't have, you didn't have, you know, Johnny with a gun going and shooting an entire lion, entire pride of lions, but you, you had giant bears and giant wolves and, and hyenas the size of, like, you know, bears, and you had bear dogs, and you had other giant cats, and you had all these other animals that were competing. So how'd they do it so well? So, we think... That the biggest thing, sorry, I just need to close this little video. It's going to play. We think the biggest thing is they never interbred. They didn't, they didn't like. They weren't inbred. They they the cave lions were so spread out that and they were so very different for the sense they didn't have prides. So we think the cave lions, you know, did their thing. Male and a female have a baby. Female has two babies. They stick together for a while. Maybe we don't know. Babies grow up. Babies go away. Male goes away. Mom stays. Mom won't go have babies with dad again. Won't go have babies with, with the son either. Mom does her own thing until another lion shows up and says, hey, let's have a kid. And she says, great, let's do it. You look at Mandre lions, though, with these prides, you have one male, or two sometimes, sometimes brothers, two males, one male, breeding with all these females, popping out babies. Males get lost. Females stay. Is he strong enough? Okay, he keeps all the other males away. Now he has more babies with everybody. He's having babies with his own daughter. He's having babies with his, with the daughter's sisters. Like he's he's having all these children that are not doing nearly as well as they should because they're being interbred. So when you think about this, these big cats could do what they wanted. They could just go and 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 you know make more big cats, but never with their own relatives. And that's you know kind of a no-brainer when you think about it. Why would if I'm a big cat, why would I have one? Why would I want to have more babies with my own family? 
it's more of a defense mechanism in the sense where it's you keep the pride together, you keep more more um, mouths to feed, but more f mouths to catch prey. Um, whereas an American lion or you know cave lion, you didn't have to do that. You did your own thing. <laughs> you did your own thing, and you just didn't care. You said, "I'm gonna go and eat whatever I want, and nothing's gonna ever stop me." So it's kind of it's interesting in that respect, um, but it's also kind of strange. So. We kind of play this off today where we think maybe we can do the same with American, or I guess lions today. You look at ligers. Ligers can't make babies. So you know for a fact that, you know, cave lions didn't last so long because they bred with tigers or, you know, American cheetah, I guess cheetahs or whatever else they didn't do. So they couldn't have interbred with other cat species because those cat species today um, usually are sterile. So it had to be probably through no pride formations no interbreeding, and a healthy sense of, I want to say family connections, you wouldn't have, the biggest problem with, I think, lions today is, when a male lion takes over a pride, he eradicates all the younger lions. If you're under two years old, you're dead. He eats you, kills you, he doesn't even eat you, he just kills you, and leaves you for dead, or I guess you are dead. When you look at cave lions, they had no competition like that. Uh, a male cave lion wouldn't move in on another cave lion just to eat, you know, its offspring. There was there was never there was never a reason for it. If a male cave lion has a female with a family, he doesn't have to go search out more. He doesn't want more. He does his own thing. So it's it makes a lot of sense when you think about that in the aspect where you know you don't have to worry about these animals inter I guess predating each other or cannibalizing each other. Um, where they kind of just did their own thing. So it makes a lot of sense when you look at modern day lions where they're competing, I think their biggest predator, aside from humans, is themselves. <laughs> like, sure, hyenas will kill a couple lions, but that's a one-off. When when a male lion takes over a pride, if you're under two years old, you're done. Game over, buddy. And we don't think that Smilodon ever did that. We don't think that any of these big cats did that. We think they kind of just did their own thing and probably survived longer because of that. That's kind of, that's long-winded, I know. Thank you for listening if you did. Um, but my last thing I want to talk about is just Dinophilus. So Dinophilus is my favorite of the big cats. Um, I mentioned at the start of the episode, I'm going I'm to finish it now. Dinophilus means terrible cat. It has a smaller subspecies of Dinophilus, Dinophilus B, we'll call it. And it was, you know, size, it was under a meter tall. It was maybe a meter long. And you look at Dinophilus A, which was over a meter tall and two meters long. So, Dinophilus B, size of a bobcat, Dinophilus A, size of a lion. Now, Dinophilus uh, was kind of, you know, the most notorious of all the big cats. If you haven't heard about it before, you probably haven't been looking for it. <laughs> Smilodons might be number one for being big. Dinophilus were number one for being, I don't want to say evil, but they, they did their thing well. They were our number one predator when we first started trying to be people. When we first started walking upright and, and making family groups and not killing off or not leaving people if they were sick, Dinophilus was there saying, Don't worry, come out of the come out of the cave, come out of the out of the firelight. I'll be waiting here for you. So we think, well we know for a fact, that Dinophilus hunted and ate early hominids. So Homo habilis, um Pantherolopus, Australopithecus Africanus or Afrancis, all these are modern day or I guess they're modern-day humans, early reptiles, early, uh, not reptiles, relatives, thank you. Um, so they did, their own, they did their own thing trying to be people, and Dinophilus was waiting there for them. So Dinophilus preyed on these three different species of humans. Um, 
We know that uh, Predator reveals that Dinophilus is active in Africa, but the various species attributed to the genus are wide-ranging and remain being found, or remains being found in Eurasia and North America. So Dinophilus is, also call, all, uh, is often called a false saber-toothed cat because it had larger canines but not saber teeth. Even dirk-toothed cats had very large canines. This didn't have nearly as large, so they were, they were bigger, but they weren't saber-toothed teeth. They were just big teeth. Um, you know, they were uh, enlarged beyond the normal point uh, seen in today's big cats, but not as long as true saber-toothed cats, like Smilodon. Um, so it belonged to this group called, um, oh, I'm going to butcher this, Machirodontia. Machi? Machirodontidae. Which, same family as um, Kabir. The other one I mentioned earlier, same family. Different, different branches, but same family. Um, so they belong to this group of cats that kind of existed long before this cat. So its early ancestors were called Nimravids, which are these weird, kind of like early cats. But they, Dinophilus came from that. Um, the rear teeth of this cat were st not strong at all. So kind of like small teeth. And when you have smaller, weaker teeth, what do you eat? Softer food. What's really soft? Apparently humans. So when you want to eat a human and strip the flesh from their bones, you don't want hard teeth. You want soft teeth that can do a good job of it. So what's crunchy? Bones. What's not crunchy? Flesh. When you, when you want to eat flesh and not bones, what do you eat? Flesh. What has a lot of flesh and easy to catch? Humans. Early humans. So Dinophilus kind of did its own thing and ate a lot of early humans. Um, we think that its biggest, like, you know, it was the biggest predator we ever had for early hominids. Dinophilus is thought to have hunted baboons, so early apes. Ate baboons. Would have probably eaten a different, like, different um, availability of prey in different locations. But Dinophilus, which is the main um, genus... Also thought to include other mammals, so juveniles of the creatures. So, baboons, baboon babies, early hominids, hominid babies. Basically, they did whatever it wanted. Larger species of Dinophilus probably focus more on hunting larger animals in their own habitats, but why hunt larger when you hunt easier prey? And lots of it. We're humans. We, we stick together. If I'm a Dinophilus, I'll go in, eat mom, dad, and baby, call it a day, I'm good for weeks. Um, so studies of Dinophilus skeletons have revealed that it was not a runner, but an ambush predator. Um, so it means it waited in trees, dropped down, killed under the undergrowth. What's under that bush? Oh, it's a Dinophilus. I'm dead. Bye, Grandpa. These kind of things happen. Dinophilus waited in ambush and hunted its prey to a T. We think that it had special forelimbs made for propelling itself more or out of trees, so downwards or outwards. So it wasn't a sprinter. It was more of a jumper. But in the sense where it was a big cat, like it still weighed like 200 pounds, but it, it wouldn't run. It would just fire itself at you and you'd be done. Um, it indicates Dinophilus had muscles, like crazy muscles to wrestle prey to the ground, so it could use it in large canines to inflict mortal wounds without risking dental injury. So when you have fake saber teeth, use it to your advantage. Um, I'm sorry, I talked really fast that, but there's so much to talk about, and I only have, I only do these for like 40 minutes tops, and I'm almost there, so. With that, I'm sorry if I was talking too fast and you couldn't really understand me, I'll make a slower version maybe, um. This is going to end Eldino for today. I'm hoping to do a series or change. It's going to be Eldino, but kind of go off on a tangent about early, earlier mammals. I've been following all these dinosaur accounts, and they've been posting a lot about early mammals and megafauna, and it's getting me really fired up. So I want to talk about these early mammals and kind of later mammals that made animals who they are today. Um, so I hope you enjoyed the big cat episode. We, I can talk more in the future about bigger cats if you'd like. 
um, it's up to you. Or not up to me, I guess, but I'd like to know if you, if you really feel strongly about that. So I hope you enjoyed it, and I will catch you next time. Thank you for watching El Dino, only on RyeRadio.ca, and I guess wherever we're playing this now, whatever um, we're other, other platforms are playing it on. And I will catch you next time. Stay safe out there. You know, it's getting kind of warmer, but remember, social distancing is still a thing. And uh, I will catch you next time. See ya.